Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerf This, the esports show whose roster is only slightly more stable than Cloud9. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. I feel like you you prepare these in advance just to rile me, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Eventually, if we ever get back to doing a video show, people will get to see your facial reactions <laughs> to... Uh... Yeah, there was a lot of, lot of head and hands on that one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Well done. That's what I'm keeping unlocked. <laughs> we we're going to get to that as well as a few other things. So your greatest fears have been realized. Uh, there's some upheaval at Cloud Nine, far more than we were expecting. Uh, the EU LCS is finally getting around to a franchising model, and we've got to talk about this racist elephant in the room. But we will get to that elephant in a second. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Overwatch League, who continues to tweak their playoff format. So they just got out of stage two. Getting ready to start stage three, well, today, as you're listening to this episode, or Wednesday, if you were a late listener, and they're tweaking it a little bit more going into stage three. So up until this point, we have had a three-team playoff. Now, that playoff used to take place on the tail end of Saturday, which was, like, abysmal timing. We have now moved it to Sunday, and now the next tweak is we're going to expand stage three's playoffs to four teams. The top four teams for that particular stage will move on. They will continue to be seeded based on map points as they always have. The top-seeded team will no longer have a buy into the finals. Instead, their consolation prize is that they are going to get to pick their opponent. Now, some people got super excited about this, and they think this is great, and there are some parallels drawn to some ideas the NBA has had for this. But I feel like this falls a little flat when you're only talking about four teams. Well, I think there's a couple things. If you're a the highest-ranking team and you've got the buy, you've just lost a lot of advantage. Before, we had talked about the fact that you could essentially have uh, a greater advantage by that buy because the team you're playing against would have to play two matches in the same day, right? Which is better than historically where it could have been three, right? You know, 14 maps in one day and you're in the finals, right? Yes. But now you've you've lost that ability. You've lost that edge because you're going to have to play on, I believe, did they say they're playing on three on Sunday? Were they playing, were they playing all three rounds on Sunday? Yes, this is all going to take place yeah. on Sunday. Okay, just making sure because I read it that way. Then I was like, wait, was it three? No, okay. Uh, anyways, math, it's late. Uh, anyways, uh, don't, you know, I can't count to three. Put, put the beer but, yeah, essentially, uh, I, I think you lose a big advantage in that case. But I also like it because it levels the playing field. And it also gives a little bit of advantage to the, the team who gets to pick who they're playing against first. 
because they can essentially scout them in advance and, and make that decision on who they want to play against uh, if there isn't a, a much of an advance, depending on how the, the season shakes out. But it gives them that advantage, at least. And we've seen that that can be super helpful if you're just scrimming against someone who's basically or, or, or scouting one team. Uh, it helps your strats out a little bit. It gives you a little bit of an edge, but not as much as it did before. Yeah, I mean, obviously the logical decision here is to pick the lowest-seeded team. Um, now, you could look at your record against specific teams and say you're in a scenario that this didn't work out super well. But if you look at a scenario like, say, the Spitfire had against the Fusion in Stage 2 where they had basically dominated them and had maps they were undefeated on, had maps where uh, the Fusion had never beat them, there was a lot of pluses for them. They still lost. Right. But you could take it that route. But the gap between two three and four has not been super large and in fact if you look back at the past two stages so in stage one the fourth team would have been the la valiant and there was only a three map point difference between them and the third place spitfire and in stage two would have been the Seoul dynasty who only had a two map difference between them and the third place fusion so we're not talking like this massive gap into the lowest ranked team that's why i say it falls a little flat as an advantage when you talk about a tournament with only four teams essentially because this is different like nba play playoffs come around and the Cavs are ranked number yeah. one and they pick the shittiest team that team is often like six eight spots down in the rankings from them and it represents a significant advantage where in here it's like I think you're mostly going to see it played around strategy as far as records and teams they think they match up the best against so they right. can try to make that initial pass as easy as possible well we saw what happened with NYXL they basically focused that they would be uh, going against the Spitfire in the finals, right? Based on the, the Spitfire's record against the Fusion. And it gave Fusion an edge, essentially, because uh, NYXL weren't really 100% prepared for them because they had focused solely on Spitfire. And so if you you if you could go back and think, what would happen to that, uh, to that last match between Fusion and NYXL? If NYXL had focused solely on Fusion, would it have been nearly as close most likely not. It would have been a complete blowout. In, in most 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 realities, it would have been a complete blowout. I don't think I think Fusion had an edge there that NYXL didn't prepare for them, didn't prepare strats against them entirely because they didn't they disrespected them. We talked about that disrespected disrespected them as an opponent, and therefore uh, gave them an edge. But now they could take that edge away and choose a lesser opponent or choose someone like you said that they pair up against well and take them out. It doesn't necessarily have to be like the lowest record team. It could just be someone that they know that they can beat because they've they've had extra time or, or or performed very well against them during the main season. Yeah, the way the format is set up here, right? Like they get equal shot at all these teams, so they know the ones they're going to match up the best against. You could argue that, yeah, while they they still have to prep for this team, at least they know they're going to face this team. But in the end, they're actually going to have to prep for three teams. If you're if you're respecting your opponents, you're going to potentially have to prep for three teams instead of two, right? The possibilities of people you will potentially have to meet. You have one you're guaranteed to meet because you're picking them, but they're still the winner to come out of the other semifinal that you were going up against that you still are going to prepare for both potential winners. So. Overall, I still think this is a disadvantage compared to what we saw in Stage 1 and Stage 2 as far as like what it looks like for that ultimate number one seeded team. But I would we'll say less of an advantage. Not so much disadvantage. It's less of an, of an advantage uh, than we saw before. But again, before you... NYX only had to prepare for... They only prepared for one, and it went wrong, but they still won. 
I think that it can be beneficial. If anything, you, you focus in on at least one opponent, and you're guaranteed, or you should be guaranteed if you play it well enough, a, a into the finals, right? You're guaranteed at least $25,000, even if you don't win, right? So there's at least some lock to it. But the seeded piece, yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely a change. I think if you're anybody, I'm glad they, they did it now, right? Not something like Hearthstone would do, which is like a day before the end of the season, the stage right, wraps right. and I make mean, that change. It's just the day before um, the stage starts instead of in the middle. Right, right. So it's it's not like it happened midstream and now somebody's screwed over. Everybody's on the level playing field from the get-go. Everybody has the same rule set. They know what their, the end game is. And, and I like the change. It's good that they're they're making this decision now, even though it is mid-season. A lot of people are like, well, there's no real impact on the, on, on the final. Yeah. I mean, what it really... Finals at all, but yeah. You, you bring up one interesting point, which as the 25K runner-up performance bonus was effectively guaranteed to the number one seed team because they got a bye to the finals, whether they won or lost, right. they made 25K. So they aren't going to lose out on that potentially if they lose to that first team that they pick. Um, but in the end, as has been the case, and will at least as far as we know, will continue to be the case because I don't see them changing something this drastic midseason. Is that these stage playoffs are purely about bragging rights and performance bonuses, and don't have any impact on the final stage standings. These extra maps don't count against those standings, and it doesn't have any bearing on the final playoff for the overall season. So, you know, it's cool. I think it's great to give more teams opportunities. I think it makes what they turned out to be a good move, whether it was for this purpose or not. This playoff Sunday thing, If you we talked about this briefly on the last episode, but if playoff Sunday has produced the highest concurrent viewer ranking or rating since the initial day that Overwatch League launched. So they probably yeah. looked at that and like, how can we, how can we <laughs> milk that and get a little bit more out of that situation? I definitely think that that played into it some. They realized that they had a, a lot of viewers on a Sunday and they were just letting Sundays drop previously. And now this is just a lot more, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, a lot more viewers that they could grab onto, maybe expand more. But so there's one thing I do want to, a question I do want to pose to you and is what changes once we actually get to the regional or regionality model, which they originally proposed, right? What happens with this? Uh, you get to choose your opponent. Is it do? Is there a, such a thing as a home field advantage? I guess you could say if they're playing in their own arenas in the future. Where do you see that going? That's interesting, right? So you know we've we've talked a bit about the various ways that this can go, and obviously the interim re- regionality model that they've presented would be like a rotation standpoint. But if you get to the future, we're literally like we're playing in London and we're playing in LA for those particular mm-hmm. teams. I think that does have a pretty massive impact, right? If I am the sole dynasty and I have the option to either play a West coast U S team or an East coast U S team, or heaven forbid, have to go and play the spitfire. I think that does play into it because we've talked in the past, not just in Overwatch, but in a lot of esports where the travel can be brutal, especially when you're going and you're playing in some crazy time zone or it's a short time between events. And that regionality proposes a very interesting choice. I think you do have to take that into account because if I'm an LA team and I have a choice of another LA team, all else being equal, I guaranteed home field advantage no matter how I look at it. So the travel time comes into play. The home field advantage, I think, probably has something to do with it. But I think the travel is a bigger impact, in my opinion. Like I think that is a bigger reason, mm-hmm. given how sparsely you know scattered these teams are at this point. 
that's a pretty big deal, especially for some of the foreign clubs that have a, a pretty large gap of space to travel if they're actually playing in these towns. Yeah, and I wonder how much will change though once they do get to uh, you know teams going to different regions for for games, uh, and, and because you can't be like. Okay, if the if it's decided on a Friday, right, <laughs> that this the finals is going to be something specific, uh, you know, again, like you mentioned, say the Soul versus, uh, you know, I don't know, even the Fusion, right? Like you're going to be like, okay, it's Friday, we just now figured it out. By Sunday, you've got to be in Korea, right? Right. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Fusion. Well, I mean, that uh, would be never... esports scheduling, right? Waiting to the last minute to book venues it, and sell tickets. It, it it would be right. So there would have to be. An additional time between, uh, or sorry, I mean, there would have to be additional time between when they play the finals and when it's actually decided upon. Yep. Uh, or it always the finals always has to be in like their their main studios in LA, which could be doable. But just or maybe they hold the final weeks always at in LA. They, they have to figure something out because you can't just be like. I choose you. <laughs> and then, Pikachu? You, yeah. And then you've got to go across the, the entire continent in like 48 hours and then you got to play because that's a huge advantage. I, uh, and so I, st- I don't I still yeah. see like, I don't want to make this about the regionality model. I still see that being super problematic for esports, and I still see it super problematic for the Overwatch League. I, like this format does yeah. not survive regionality. Right. And that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, I, I think even though some people might be unhappy with this, I don't think this is the model that's going to stick when it comes to, uh, you know, the regionality model actually kicking in. I still don't think it'll be next year, but no, there's no, I think so. You know, we had had some conversations with folks at blizzard and I think the idea that has been floated around. Now, none of this is final. This is all just like spitballing conversation. This happened, but I think what, we will see in the interim is some sort of model that we've seen them play out with things like the Overwatch World Cup and we've seen play out with like Rift Rivals on over League of Legends where they're kind of rotating locations, right? Like this week or this stage we are playing in Seoul and this week or this stage we are playing in London and going to the regions and visiting them so every team gets an opportunity to have home field advantage, but not taking it to the extreme of like London plays two at home and two away, and there's all these different esports arenas. It's not that right. big yet. Like it's just the travel costs are expensive, the logistics are expensive, and I just don't know what value is really in that at this point, given that it still feels like the size of these esports arenas that will be viable enough don't bring enough ticket sales to make that model like super interesting at this stage of the game that's not saying it can't get there but that's kind of my take on it. i think that that's what regionality looks like to me for at least the next three years yeah it doesn't seem like they're they're filling stadiums or even basketball arenas at this point for for the weekly matches right yep. you have to get somewhat close and i don't think it's there but it just it's going to take some a couple of years for that regionality to kind of uh you know grassroots grow or I don't want to say fester, but grassroots and grow within the, those communities before they even have it. Like in some, in some areas like New York, you might find a bar or two that, that it gets filled up, but that's a bar or two, right? It's yeah. not, it's I mean, not uh Madison gardens or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. Like v- the viewing parties and stuff is great to see. Like I see a lot of them. I know some people that throw them, all that stuff is great. 
But you have to understand the logistics and the cost of doing true regionality as far as like playing at home arenas and traveling to away arenas. Probably not worth that. Like you've got to put thousands of butts in the seats potentially to like warrant what it costs to take a team and right. the support staff. Right. It's, you know, it, it, and I don't I, know that it needs it. I don't know that that necessarily is a bad thing. That's not really mm-hmm. like a mark of success in my opinion. I think they'd be better off if they could just do this rotating thing, right? Like we have a stage, yeah. each stage is, is in a uh, current region for that stage. And then we move to the next one. So everybody gets a chance to experience overwatch league live but That's I'll say cool. this. Yeah. They did not build that arena. They did not go through... Because while the arena itself is like, yeah, whatever, it's like a television studio. That setup they have there is pretty big. I don't know that they did that with the intention that like, literally next year they're going to pack that whole thing up and travel it around the world on no. a weekly basis. It won't sit dormant. Uh, that would be a huge waste of money. They won't do that. They'll find some other way to utilize it um in some way shape or form yeah they having a giant studio with all the equipment and uh you generally have a crew set up on contract in some way shape or form uh, you can't just let that sit that's just burning money and someone above someone high enough with uh plenty of zeros in their paycheck will be like well, why are we spending this money on this thing when you're you everybody's in like germany for the weekend Make zero uh, for, for like the next six weeks so it it's yeah, I'm sorry. I led us down like a really dark, dark rabbit hole here with regionality. I didn't mean to. I was just I wondered uh, it's, if it's whether you thought like this model would actually work in a regionality sense, and I don't believe it does. No. I think we'll see. I think it'll continue to evolve. Yeah, and and props to Blizzard for being willing to iterate on this. Like they are taking feedback, they're making changes. Um, I think it's also far been positive changes. The jury's still out on this latest change. We'll see what the playoffs feel like. Like certainly, yay, more games on Sunday sound great. Uh, more traditional playoff format, depending on how you feel about that. I personally like the final boss kind of setup that they had, um, but we'll see how it plays out. And it'll be a cool story if one of those fourth place teams ends up winning it. You know, we have another like fusion type moment. Pretty cool. Like, I, I don't know. We'll see. But Stage 3 is going to kick off this Wednesday. I believe it's kicking off with the Shanghai Dragons and the Dallas Fuel. So uh, <laughs> you'll get to see hey. the most disappointing team against the other most Some, disappointing team. Some, somebody's going to come out at the top of the table for the first time since the league has started. Yes. Uh, the closest Dallas has bit. ever gotten is when they do it sorted alphabetically. Oh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Arsenal fans or, or, feel the same or, way, right? At the beginning of every season, Arsenal gets to be at the top of the table for a day. So, Or, or if they rank it by most players banned or kicked out of the league. Yeah. If you the way they're going, you'd think like tryhard emotes is the way to get to the top of the table because that's that's clearly what they're flinging around here. <sighs> Got a little well. If for once, we our, our entire section of people being assholes isn't about Overwatch. Oh, I know. I can't entirely, wait till we get there. Like credits to the, to the Overwatch League and the Dallas Fuel for staying out of the TMZ of esports segment. So good job. But before we mostly, get there, mostly, mostly, let's talk about the EU LCS. So franchising has been a thing now for a bit in LCS. We obviously, it's been brought to some of the more minor regions. It's happening in China. It's, of course, most famously happening in North America. And when that happened in North America, it caused no undue amount of pressure on the EU LCS, which has traditionally been one of the lower-viewed LCS or League of Legends system regions 
to the point where four teams, G2, Fnatic, Splice, and Misfits, had all originally applied to try to get into the NALCS. You had H2K and Unicorns of Love basically just like crying foul through via like ESPN of all places to try to like get some you know leverage to move a system forward. We saw the horribly conceived, uh, short-lived version of this, which was the four regions that was going to expand to 22 teams and everybody had to pick a region. It was like the weirdest oh, model I have ever yeah. seen to jump to after saying we are the least watched region of the major regions. Now let's like double the number of teams and create the super convoluted system. Here's 2018 and <laughs> we've got our heads back about us and we now have a model that doesn't look too different than what we saw in the NALCS. So coming in 2019, EULCS is going to be moving to a very similar model with buy-ins. So current teams will be able to buy into this version of the league for 8 million euros, 10.5 million euros if you are a new team. Um, This is less than... or We'll call it close to, but a little bit less than what we were seeing charged in NA. NA was 10 million US and 13 million US, respectively. So it's a little less, but not meaningfully so, which surprised me because you and I had a lot of conversations the last time this came around about how just like, how can you take a region that is very clearly struggling, that has every indicator that has been given to the public that is struggling, and then try to charge the same amount of money to enter said league? I think what you do is you uh, fake people out. You say you have a bunch of NA matches scheduled and then just start hosting uh, all the EU matches. So you kind of force the NA audience to watch it. No, I, TSM I moves know. over to the EU so they have a chance of winning the finals. Ooh. Right, right. I think entirely uh, Riot sees the sees League of Legends esports as a worldwide whole, right? And I think that this is a stabilization effort for EU, and even though it may be, it may run at a loss. It may not run perfectly well. Uh, it's very important for them to keep EU in it because you know you've got you've got, yeah right. You've got China. You also have all the all the different regions that require. Uh, they've been they've they've been built right on this whole regionality piece and pride of NA never winning anything. And it always go into like a Korean team or something, um, but it's there, right? And it, League of Legends is just—it's it, been at its core for so long that if you were to just do away with the region, it would kind of diminish any other region winning, right? Because they always be like, "Well, you only won because there was no EU teams in it, or there's no NA teams this time around, or whatever it may be." And I think it's just too big of a hit, too big of a loss to to take from a competitive standpoint and a money standpoint because they're still going to make money in EU. And if it's all combined, who knows? It may grow. I, I don't, I, the problem is I don't understand why in the EU is lagging so much. And I don't know if it's lagging so much because of competitiveness or bad management within teams. I just don't understand why EU has lagged so far behind when it's almost when you look at like CSGO and such, like EU is bigger than NA. And so it's just, it's weird that League of Legends would sink lower than NA in Europe. Yeah. To the point where people think it's like totally not doable. It just seems so bizarre to me. Yeah, it's a weird region. And I don't know that I can necessarily pin it to one individual thing. I think there's a lot of things going on here. And 
instead of talking about my you know speculation that is all blind as to why that may be the case, I can point to some things that it looks like they're trying to do following what they saw work well in NA to fix some of these problems. So we're seeing a drastic minimum salary increase from roughly 30,000 U.S. to 75,000 U.S. Okay, real quick. Do you think any NA player was making the league minimum, which is right around 25 grand? I don't no. think any NA player was, but I wouldn't be well, surprised anyway. if there were some EU players that were. Well, and, and they don't maybe. need to make 30. Were they making less than 75? And there are. If you look right. at the contract database, a spreadsheet that is like the unofficial official contracting, there were people that were there. Now, I don't think that just giving people more money necessarily raises it, but will there be will the bottom of the skill floor go up? If you can spend more money I, on players, you're forced to spend more money on players. I think with a more guaranteed revenue model, then it's it's owners are more likely to do it, right? That that makes sense. Because what I haven't heard is a giant outcry from ownership around having to pay players more, which I think would just be suicidal in terms of ownership wise. Like, we don't want to pay them more. I'm like, right. It's just like, yeah, that application, gone. Um, so maybe that's why it's silent. But largely, if you look at like, if you have a huge disparity between an NA player making probably like league average is what, like 80,000 is probably my guess, right? It's closer um, to the 100. It's like 105, I believe. The last is it 105 now? Yeah. So I was going to say 100, but I was like, well, maybe it was like a top players right around there. But um, again, this is base salary, nothing additional, whatever incentives may be. And then you have EU on average of like 30 or 40. That's still problematic, right? And so... This levels it out, and I believe are they instituting the seventy five thousand for NA as well? Yeah, it's, NA's was slightly. I mean, this is you you know Euro conversions, but NA was pretty close to the same. So this is about on par with NA as far as the floor goes for the gotcha. salary. But there's an important part of this that I think makes that number more powerful it's that is tied up in the new revenue sharing model and the revenue sharing model sees the player portion of the league revenue of 35 percent goes out to the players now the initial amount of that money covers contracts so a portion of, and they don't say which portion but a portion of the contracted players salaries are covered by the league out of this 35 percent but if the overall league does better then the player portion above Go, once it reaches the point where that portion is higher than what they'd normally contribute to salaries, the difference will also be shared with players. So there's potential beyond even like team-based performance bonuses that this money will get paid out to players. So that's a significant thing. I think, two, the next thing that is going to play hugely into this is going to be the involvement of the football clubs. Now, we have seen a pretty revolutionary impact in my opinion of the nba teams that got involved in nalcs and specifically (laughs) the cleveland cavaliers and out of left field the houston rockets because clutch gaming and 100 thieves two of the most successful teams in the spring split and that's not you know that is not like a random thing that happened. They have a better support system. Clutch Gaming, if you remember way back to our Spring Split preview that we had with Alex from Bleacher Report, Clutch Gaming was like his dark horse pick based on the people that they mm-hmm. ended up signing. And they, through that support system that they built for that organization, 
turned out like a pretty damn good performance. So when you wipe the slate clean and don't for a second think that the same thing isn't going to happen in EU where like some people you assumed were going to be shoe-ins, I'm looking at you H2K and unicorns who crowed a little too loudly about what happened last time. Like you may get punished here under the guise of we would rather bring in these football organizations that have money, that have support systems. And I'll say this, say what you will about the state of American sports when it comes to, you know, nutrition and medicine and psychology and things of that nature. You have nothing on what some of these European football clubs have in place. And yeah. they bringing that to EU LCS, that alone could have a significant difference here. Well, there's also been a lot of the companies who have made it into LCS or NALCS have gone on to make huge you know, rounds of investment, right? Like in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so it is quite possible that any team that gets in there, while yes, it may cost them upwards of, I think it was like 10 or $13 million US, uh, could easily see a lot of investment money coming their way because of that, right? And so, again, I don't think you can discount any of those teams coming in from the outside having not already had a team or maybe not a ton of experience for like a football club, for instance, not having a ton of experience within esports, they've all been dabbling in it in some way, shape, or form, largely within like FIFA. And we've seen a couple. Yeah, like, Schalke got involved, and so right. th- there's been some I mean, investment. Even, but I, I think when you see your PSGs, right, your your Manchester Cities, your Chelseas. Um, well, because what Riot wants to see is some stability too, right? Yep. And so when you when you have instability, then they tend to not go with it. And we also we also saw that with the Overwatch League, right? We thought for certain that there were going to be certain groups who, yes, they automatically get it, and then Blizzard takes a look at their book and be like, well, they've just been burning cash and seed money for so long. We don't th- see them as a legitimate owner or ownership. And I think that's I think that's really smart to to take into account. I think an established company, an established team base with a good support system is going to mean better, happier players uh, and less disputes and less hopefully craziness. Um, but yeah, I, I see it as a good thing. I still don't know how much uh, of a bonus really it is. I mean, I guess you are saving $3 million, but the fact that it's cheaper if you're already involved in the LCS versus an outside bidder, what... Did they say anything around what happens with that extra $3 million? Does that go to the teams? Does that go to the teams that, that pay out that didn't make it into the LCS like we had seen, I think, before? Yeah, there was, some para- there was some parachute payments that were involved in the NALCS right. situation, and there has not been any talk in this announcement about doing the same thing. Now, that may just be they chose not to announce it because they didn't view it as key to you know the important parts of this deal. could be because it's not in place. EU, you know, maybe not as good as negotiating or they don't see it as big of a hit. I don't know. So that has not been thrown out there yet. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens here because, again, like, I don't see all these teams making it. And now where do they go, right? Like, the these teams... Sorry, with with H2K, specifically, I think they even talked about, they they nearly hit rock bottom, uh, was it last year, year before last? It was last year. That's when they went to ESPN during the NALCS franchising negotiations to basically call Riot out for the fact that there was no money to be made here. And I think they were a little annoyed that that the EU LCS at the time had been left out when you saw them going in and franchising a lot of regions, minor and major. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know if that means that they're in any better shape uh, and or are going to get into it. They may have just they may have burned that bridge on accident. Well, maybe purposely. Uh, purposely at the time, not realizing it would come back to haunt them. I thought that was a bad mood to begin with, um, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see how that shakes yeah. out. Yeah. But a few other details of this that are important. So these are three-year deals, um, three-year partnership agreements. Uh, there are some removal conditions for poor for performance and disciplinary issues. I'll be interested to see how that first one plays out. Um, because this is something that you and yeah. I talked a little bit about in Overwatch League, too, right? Like, when we look at the end of this season... And you see these teams that like put a minimal investment into their franchise, like what constitutes poor performance? Yeah, and that was the part that actually I had a, a lot of questions around too. Is what is poor performance? Is it uh, is it based solely on win loss record? It, it can't be. It can't be. I think it has to be something along the lines of just uh, either investments in team, or it must be something. Uh, I don't like not making games or not having rosters in time or whatever it may be. There's got to be something. It can't just be win loss record. No, I I mean, if it is, then that's, that's crazy because that's also called relegation. (laughs) You just don't get relegated for three years. Yeah. I think Uh, it's more about like, if you look at, um, I'll use a baseball reference, like the uh, Miami Marlins are a team that I think would like represent the traditional sports version of this. They have a shitty record. They have a shitty record because they purposely make bad deals to try to make money and shortchange the performance of their teams. Um, Ironically enough, the Florida mayhem would be the closest that I could come up with for something like this, where you could potentially yeah. attribute their lack of investment in that team and choosing to go with literally an initial, you know, slim six roster with no subs mm-hmm. as a lack of perform, like the poor performance due to lack of investment in the league. That that's the best way I could define it. Yeah, and th- th- that's another thing I thought was questionable. They they may have to they will more than likely define that. Uh, more so when it comes down to if you're an investor or you're looking to buy into the league, that will have to be fleshed out. It can't be super subjective if you're throwing $13 million at Riot. You want to know what the exact stipulations are, what they consider to be poor performance. Exactly. And, and I think so far that's, you know, I think that's probably clear to the teams. It may never be clear to us, but they probably know what that looks like. Um, as you hinted at, but it is explicitly spelled out here, the relegation system, the whole Challenger League concept is, as is it in the NA, has been removed. Um, they reference one other interesting thing. So Riot gets 32.5% for expenses um, related to production, um, you know, obviously making money from this whole thing. Um, but any part... Um, that is left over from that 32.5% that is earmarked for production goes to the teams um, in an equal distribution. And then some of it goes to the teams as part of bonuses for quote competitive and engagement metrics. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. Um, But overall, like it's a fairly good deal. One thing I laughed at because I forget about this because I forget this is a thing that has still not come to fruition which they talk about the revenue pool includes league sponsorship, <laughs> merchandise, media rights, including the damn BAMTech deal. Yeah, everybody wants a piece of the, the Phantom Bam BAMTech deal. I, I'm calling it Phantom now until we see it, but we... I We're mean, halfway through 2018 there. now, folks. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. What, what's the soon as we see that thing debut? Maybe as like a preview for Worlds this year? 
Oh, that'd be a tough thing. I would not want to. I wouldn't <laughs> either. To preview what, worlds. I mean, oh, hell no. This is what a five-year deal, and we're now coming up on the at least the end of year one from the original well, announcement. And the funny thing is, is we may have jumped to a lot of conclusions with Riot because we talked about how initially when Riot was making the deal with NA, they didn't want to include television rights. They're wanting to put that off a year till they figured that out. Yeah. And then, you know, they then they came around and signed the BAMTech deal, and the people were like, well, we want a piece of that. Well, I think what Wright realized, it was going to be at least another year until BAMTech even kind of came around online. Yep. And we just didn't want to promise that money if they weren't actually able to capitalize on that in any way, shape, or form. And I wonder, it, I don't know, BAMTech's owned by Disney, so they have Correct. pockets. Are they... I don't know. I don't know. Rumor, if rumor has something it. Out or not. Take this as rumor, please. Don't take this as official reporting. But everything that I've heard from people that know a hell of a lot more sources than I do has said that this is a tech problem. This is a riot problem. This is not. This is not Bam, Bam Tech not having the pockets needed to do this. They deal with major, major streaming brand deals. Like they run streaming for WWE, for Major League Baseball, which is obviously where Bam Tech even spun out of to begin with. Um, everything I understand it is the conditions and various other factors related to Riot and how Riot is running this as a project. So take that gotcha, for what it's worth. Gotcha. But that, that's everything I've heard points to that. But yeah. I'm excited to see what this football money means because to put this in perspective, there are I'm looking at the top 10 most um, wealthy franchises in all of sports across the entire world. And only one NBA team, the New York Knicks, makes that top 10 list. But three soccer clubs, Manchester United, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, all make that list. The reason why that's important is to say there is a hell of a lot more money flying around the Premier League and various other soccer leagues around the world than there is in the NBA, who has been the largest investor as far as traditional sports franchises go into esports. So dangling yeah. that soccer carrot out there is important for esports because there's a hell of a lot more money and a hell of a lot more disposable income flying around in world soccer than there is in any of the American leagues, with maybe the exception yeah. of the NFL. And I think the NBA also really jumped into it from a team standpoint because a lot of players were investing here and there, right? Yeah. And they I mean, Red Fox being the most teams. obvious example. Right, right. But we also saw like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was, was going into it, even though it's post his NBA career, really. Uh, but again, even I think we'd heard a couple of people who were joining together mention like their financial advisors were like, yeah, invest in esports or diversify into esports and things yep. like that. And that's just, uh, it's crazy. So the teams jumped into that. And again, we, we've, we know that European football clubs have been, big proponents of esports they've been dabbling in it here and there with like things like fifa league of legends even uh yeah. so we got the it, nba 2k surprising. league coming out now like there's a lot of emls i'm just kidding oh, God. EMLS. i'm supposed to talk with them this week so i don't know <laughs> not anymore be. because i just made a comment <laughs> oh emls yeah so we'll see I, i'm stoked about this though i think this is this can be nothing but if the teams that have complained i.e h2k and unicorns of love are to be believed this is cannot be anything but good news for the stability of eu lcs that's my take yeah. on it and i'm happy to see be. it happen yeah. um i'm now 
Now that we know how Riot operates in these negotiations, and if you go to their website, they've got a whole timeline laid out very clearly now about how these negotiations are going to go, where a lot of what we were reading previously was through leaks and things of that nature. So we know how this is going to go, and we also know there's going to be a few surprises, which is going to make the... Um, you know, going into the 2019 spring split, super exciting to see like what this actually looks like, because I don't think, as we mentioned many times when it was going on, we had no idea we were going to see the amount of turnover in uh, organizations in NALCS. I imagine if anything, EU might be even more because the financial stability of these teams potentially, as far as their League of Legends investment is far shakier than some of the teams that were going up for NALCS. Mm -hmm. So yeah, see how that goes. All right, so take a swig of your beer. I was just going to say, this is the part of the show where I just I need to drink more. Yes. <laughs> I killed my beer already. You're, but anyways. You're, you're going to cry a little. Um, so let's talk about <sighs> Cloud9 and SK. So we had talked last week. We were talking about Taco, and we were talking about Stewie2K. And at the time, we had known that Taco was leaving SK, and the rumors were pretty firm, but it had not been confirmed that Stewie2K was probably going to leave Cloud9 and join SK. And then the world imploded, and we had we just got like a dump of information that took what would have, should have been like a one, not a true one for one, but Stewie leaves, Taco goes somewhere else, find a replacement for Stewie, and we move on. But it is CSGO. And as with most roster changes with CSGO, they start an avalanche, a snowball of changes. So I'm just going to start running these down, and when you're done sobbing, stop me, and we'll talk about this. I don't know if it'll... Yeah, this is going to be a long show. The sobbing will never <laughs> stop. Um, so the first domino, and I'm going to be a little bit off on timelines here, but uh, the first domino that I saw fall was Skadoodle, who is the longest tenured member, by the way, of the current C9 roster, announced on Twitter that he is now currently inactive with CSGO and therefore inactive with Cloud9. But he's but, actually... He he actually has to stand in for this next round because <laughs> uh, they don't have ECS. any other options. Yeah, so everybody's like, "Welcome back, <laughs> congratulations!" He, he legit says, "Yep, I'm backing out." And then I, I, I think he backed out knowing that there was a replacement, but things with the, with the replacement have been delayed. Yes, and so therefore he is now back for one more, and it's against. Uh, I think he's up for a double header, and it's against SK. Ironically, of course it is. And then we found, officially, we found out that Complexity announced on Monday that FNS was heading to Cloud9. So there's one of your replacements. Question became, who is going to be the second replacement? We have Stewie2K gone. We have Skadoodle out of the picture. At least it looks like it. And then nothing, as esports tends to have happened, nothing leaks on his stream randomly that not only is FNS joining Cloud9, but JDM is joining as well, who had been inactive on Team Liquid since February. Right, and but now JDM is the one that is not available yet, which is why Skadoodle needs to come back in. Is that? That's what I'm. What I'm hearing, or at least what I'm seeing so far, um, because they also haven't confirmed JDM. Now, nothing didn't be like, oh, so I heard a rumor. Well, he was legit talking to someone, which is why it's taken uh, as more than likely going to happen. Yes, uh, he was legit talking to someone about how the team is going to be working. And he's like, you know, they've got, they've got Tarek, they've got Automatic, they've got. You know, they've got FNS, they've got, they've got, JDM. They've got JDM, and they've got, and he's just like going down the line. And he's, and he, it, I don't even think he caught himself in terms of saying it. No. And just continued on. And so, but the stream um, did. The stream got like, wait a minute, JDM has not been confirmed. And so, 
uh, it makes sense. He would be a good fill-in uh, for the rest of the team. Uh, he is a te- technically a free agent. But the thing that is just really weird about this is that JDM, FNS, and Tarek were all on CLG right. back during E-League. Oh, well, well, back during like the E-League uh, Season 1 days. I mean, they actually did really well in E-League Season 1, if I'm correct. Um, they didn't make it to the, the finals, but they did... If I'm correct, I think they made it to like quarters, maybe semis. They did really well. And I remember thinking, like, wow, they're doing great. I mean, that was when they had like Cutler. Um, but it was like right after that, they just fell apart. Um, and then I think like Tarek stepped down from the team. He was just doing streaming. Then he got picked up by Optic, and then Optic did a great run. Um, but I mean, majority of these guys, except for FNS, uh, have been sitting dormant since like November. They've, uh, FNS was, not uh, CLG went inactive, and they were only hold, they were holding their contracts on their players in November of last year, and FNS got picked up by Complexity in January, and so he's only had a couple of months of play after a couple of months off. Um, but it's just uh, it's weird because it's like CLG 2.0. There are more people on there from CLG than Cloud Nine. <laughs> um, it's just. It's an interesting play. I still don't think... I think it's going to take a while to gel because Tarek had stepped in as a leader. Uh, he was the shot caller for, for Cloud9, and I think he had a really unique take on it. But FNS is the was essentially Tarek's shot caller on CLG, and so everybody's assuming that FNS will step right back into that role and call the shots. So I think anything in the very... Near term, I think they're just going to burn. I don't think they'll do very well. And I just, I think Tarek's style worked really well with like the aggressiveness of like Stewie with Automatic. Uh, and now with it being like CLG 2.0 with Automatic, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we, you hinted at this last week, which is, this smells an awful lot like what we saw happen to... We're going to start calling the E-League curse. What happened to Optic yeah. after they won Season 2 of E-League, and they started tinkering, and that tinkering turned into a snowball, which caused most of the team to go away and basically just ruin Optic as a CSGO squad. And like it hasn't happened yet, but it looks like it could happen with Cloud9 once again. They clearly have not been able to regain the form that saw them become the first NA team to win. And... Now where does it go? And it is a bit of a mishmash. And I looked back. So CLG finished third in their group in E-League Season 1 with a very similar roster. Not completely the same, but similar roster to what we're seeing being put together at Cloud9. But they were also in a group up against SK Gaming and Astralis. So take that take that with a little bit of a grain of salt that they finished right. third. Um, but if you can compare that to the performance of all the other third-place teams, they were the best performing out of all the third-place teams. So, yeah, I just rem- I remember them doing well against some teams that they should not have been doing well. So I I, I remember them performing. Well. I couldn't remember where they placed, but I remember being impressed by CLG, and somewhat saddened that post E League season one that they just kind of fell apart because they weren't in E League season two, if I'm correct. Correct. Yes. Um, and because they had just turned into a bowl of shit. So, uh, <laughs> since they changed that, their name, the rules question. meant they weren't allowed to join. <laughs> <laughs> that also happened. But I just remember being disappointed because, like, here's a, another NA team that 
I, I think could have gone further and felt like they were on the rise. They were doing well against EU teams uh, and Brazilian teams that were just obviously far better, but they were holding their own. So again, this is NA Counter-Strike. So you just, you hope you take those small wins and you really tried to hug them and take them to bed with you every night. But uh, <laughs> well, clearly you did not do well enough with that, sir. Yeah, yeah, I should have taken my shirt off like Tarek, but I guess, <laughs> yeah, that's, I just remember being disappointed, and uh, now I, I, now I'm disappointed, disappointed again. again because they're back, but they just, they, they took, they Fine. took the place of probably the best, well, the best NA team we've seen in, in many years, or recent years, or as a whole, and uh uh, I don't know. It's just, it's awkward. It's weird. And I don't know what to think about it. It could be amazing. Uh, it probably I mean, it's, it's, it's great that you're getting a bunch of people who've played together back and not just a bunch of randoms. I think on the flip side, I think Stewie's going to have a really hard life at SK. I don't see this panning out at all. SK I know is going to be weird. So I know a lot of people, a lot of people are saying that he's going to fit right in. He's better than taco. I don't think he is. I really don't think he fits into their system well. I know he's very flexible. He's probably more flexible than Taco, but I don't think he meshes well from a personality standpoint. And I don't, I really, I think, granted, he did well in the finals and the majors. He also had some really awful moments in the majors where he just kind of crumbled under some pressure. And if you're up there as much as SK is in those finals, if you're able to make the finals with Stewie, how many, how many chances is he going to get with SK? Right. Well, you, know, you if, talked if he, a bit about this before. He he was able to play a more prominent role on Cloud9. And right, he's right. not the best player on that team by far. Yeah. Taco was kind of like the scapegoat in a lot of times when they weren't doing well. Even when they were doing well, people, well, they did well despite Taco. Just because of the role he played. And I don't see Stewie accepting that kind of role that... And why he would um, want to go somewhere where that's very clearly the role that he will likely have to fill. And even don't if they don't know. make him the scapegoat like Taco was, when you look at that lineup, there's no reason for him not to... Well, what role is he going to play that is going to feel like it's more significant than the role he played on Cloud9? That's I, the I question don't know. I have. And I, I don't have the answer to that. And also, on top of it, I think... I read somewhere that he wasn't... He was in kind of like a trial stage with them. So it wasn't a hundred percent. This may have changed. This may have just been conjecture prior to like it being fully released. At one point in time, they said that he was on his way there to kind of basically trial with them, uh, and that it almost made it sound like Cloud Nine still had rights to him if the he didn't work out. Correct. As of now, or as of I should say, three days ago, it is not known whether or not he actually is contracted to SK Gaming. We know he has joined the team. But we do not know if a actual contract is in place. That's the last update I saw on HLTV. So yeah, we'll yeah. see how that plays out. And he's not the. I mean, so let's talk about this lineup. So we've got Fallen, Coldzera, Fur, Bolts, who is on loan from Immortals, which normally would not matter, but we'll get to that in a moment because there's another fun thing to play here with SK. And then Stewie2K. Um, as of now, there's no other options for them. I think they have one other player whose name is escaping me, uh, Phelps, who is currently inactive and technically on the roster as is Taco. Um, but, you know, I don't see this not playing out unless Stewie just does not gel at all. Now, I don't know whether that means he gets to snap back to Cloud9 or what that ends up looking like, though it sounds like Cloud9 has kind of moved on. Like, the moves they're making certainly don't 
reek of a team that's going to get Stewie 2K back because that's a lot of drastic change to make for a player that you could potentially get back, right? Like, there wasn't one roster move, but we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. What else is interesting is that Noah Winston, and you're like, why does Noah Winston have anything to do with this? He was like bouncing around Brazil. There was this interview with this very popular Brazilian magazine. And the conjecture is that he's interested in buying the SK roster. So Immortals, for you know, just as a refresher, has been inactive in CSGO since late last year. There's a lot of drama around that team, including some people getting into it, some people getting benched. And they had to forfeit the remaining ECS matches, and they were also had to pull out the ESL Pro League. This is how Bolts ended up on SK, as he was loaned out and is really outside of Horvy, the only person technically still contracted to the Immortals organization as far as CSGO is concerned. And the rumor flying around is that Noah plans on buying this roster and bringing them back under the Immortals banner which is just like this other left field fun tangent that's going on with this weird SK Cloud9 roster situation that is currently at play here. And whether that has something to do to why Stewie2K is not on an actual contract yet, certainly adds fuel to the fire. I'm not saying that's fact, but it certainly lends credence to this like holding pattern the team is potentially in as Noah doesn't contemplate buying them, but will magically in a week probably buy them. Yeah, he's he essentially says that he's in Brazil to kind of further uh further esports within Bullshit. Brazil. Oh, we'll talk to people, right? Exactly. <laughs> um to uh, expand their brand in Brazil, which is a very smart play. Uh, I just don't know he blatantly says he won't comment on anything immortals or SK related, uh, which is ironic because he's the Owner of Immortals, right? So um, he tried to talk about that, the Valiant a lot for some random reason. <laughs> and so I think that uh, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense for them to expand in Brazil. And if you're going to make a splash in Brazil, yeah, the SK roster is the the people you want to make it with. But I also feel like getting the roster now is not the same as getting the roster a year ago, right? And we've yeah. seen this with like Brutus Pro. Sometimes you tend to keep on people uh for a long time because they're like the face of a team um and i don't know if it's great to pick up that that group i think the immortals uh team that they had pieced together was starting to do well yes it shit the bed and it became uh, a clown fiesta uh those are very csgo technical terms for brazil (laughs) csgo teams evidently um uh it's just yeah i I I think you have to be something original. I think people will, will like originality more so than, oh, here's this guy from the U.S. who bought our Brazilian team and now wants us all to be interested in in esports. I it just I feel like that never goes over well, and I think it'd be a poor move. Yeah, on I, his part. I, I don't know what we're ultimately going to see out of this. Or what impact is going to have on some of these things? I think it's obvious that it's in the works. Now it may not get finalized but to say that he's not down there for that reason is just silly um clearly immortals as an organization being out of csgo is not great for them csgo one of the most active esports one of the most potentially profitable esports outside of the ones that you you know are in or aren't in and we need to remember that they also are not in league of legends anymore because that they were frozen out 
due to having too much debt on the books, which is why we squinted really hard at the LA Valiant franchise in Overwatch League because it felt like flying in the face of what Blizzard had said they wanted out of a league. So they're not necessarily in the healthiest of positions by not having a League of Legends team and not having a CSGO team. So it's in his best business interest to get back in. (laughs) And if you're going to make a splash, like you said, going after SK Gaming's roster put you back in the hunt. Now, will it work out? History says probably not. But I guess having a foot in the pool is better than where he's at right now, where he literally has nothing um, in two of the biggest esports. Yeah, and I think it's because maybe it's just knowing the business model of Winston and, and how it is essentially like a run like a startup, right? This just feels like let's pivot to Brazil. <laughs> just <laughs> it's really what it, it does, does it not? Like some VC at a board meeting said, we need more Brazilians. It is. It's like let's play. Let's make a play for a market that isn't is underserved essentially from an esports notoriety standpoint. Um, or at least doesn't have a, a lot of eyes on it from a, a world standpoint. And let's push it further. That's what he had mentioned. Like the guys at SK were really good at including a lot of the Brazilian teams, including the those who came on the Immortals, and helping grow that scene. Not because they had to or they were contracted to, but they just felt like it was the right thing to do, and they took it upon themselves to help grow that scene. Uh, be, out, just out of pride. And that's what won a lot of people over in terms of supporting the SK roster. So yeah, I just, again, that's why I worry that like, if they buy them up, then how does that look? But it's, it's obvious. It's just, I don't know. Something stinks of like, it's a, it's a pivot play to Brazil because of it's a, a market piece that they want. And I get esports is a business. Uh, I just don't want it to come off as seeming like it, it just sounds like he's like, we're trying to find a way to be genuine. And whenever someone says we're trying to find a way to be genuine, because they generally aren't, <laughs> and they're worried in a lot yes. of ways. And they, you know, th- to kind of put a bow on it, it's hard not to look at their situation as an outsider and see this as a bit of a desperation move, right? Right now, they have a Dota 2 team. They're invested in Smash. They just joined the North American Clash Royale League. <laughs> they're not, you know, for a team that was synonymous with games like Counter-Strike and League of Legends for years, this isn't a great place for them to be right now. And they put out this really stupid, hilarious, we've now joined the Mario Kart League and we bought a Brazilian <laughs> team and ha ha ha, April 1st, it's funny, funny. Um, but they, I could see if I had a ton of money invested in Immortals. Now, obviously, Immortals also owns the Valiant. But if, I, if I'm an investor in Immortals, I'm really wondering what I got here. Right, because outside of the Overwatch League, you don't have much. And who's to say how much the Overwatch League is paying out at this point in time? I mean, it was a huge buy-in to get into Overwatch League. Yeah, I mean, Overwatch League themselves seem to be making some good money. You know, obviously they've talked about how they're way ahead of the revenue targets. Now, what that is amounting to to the franchises that have to pay salaries and are paying, making payments on their franchising fee. Hard to tell. Like, I don't think anybody has that answer yet. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, this may be, this is a, if it made for esports reasons, maybe an okay move, made for business reasons, this may blow up in Noah's face, but we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. <sighs> all right. So I've been prepping for this for like two days. Uh, you missed this as I went on this like giant tirade in our Discord um, <laughs> in preparation for this, this topic because I'm, I, I want to take a different approach but let's so let's see what we got here so 
The amount of times in the last few months that we have been forced to come on this show and cover something in the realm of sexism, racism, homophobia, Twitch esports stream, like mash those words together, um, put it in like an AI bot, and it wouldn't generate as much bullshit as comes out of the players themselves. So the latest editions of this are twofold. One, Eco, who's a player for the Philadelphia Fusion in the Overwatch League, um, makes some comment on his stream saying, I'm Korean, and he pulled his eyes back to make slanty face. Apparently, my watch, my Siri is answering the question for me. So you get this. Team comes out, says, this is not how our players should act. Blah, 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 blah. We'll punish him. You know, same old song and dance. The one that's got me more triggered is Sato, who is a popular CSGO caster, has been involved with E-League, um, all the major CSGO tournaments, was also one of the largest opponents of XQC and was the first person to jump out pretty strongly condemning XQC after his whole drama, goes and gets on stream, gets drunk for his birthday, and drops the N-bomb, not the N-bomb with an A on the end that we like to use as we claim as the softer version because they use it in rap songs. We went full on with the ER at the end because if we're going to go home, we might as well go big. And follows that up if that wasn't enough, telling some dude to wrap a belt around his neck and kill himself, you know, just like, you know, sliding into home base. We're just going to do it. <laughs> I don't know if it's sliding home base. That was a, a slow jog around the bases. Like, he just won the World Series. He's waving. He's calling a shot. You know, he's just like, this is ridiculous. The yeah. usual round of voices come out. You know, Monte Cristo comes out, and it's like, oh, I would take away his ability to interact with the public while intoxicated. And for some reason this <laughs> time, this time I can't deal. And I'm, and I'm just going to, if you will indulge me for like a couple of minutes. Here's my problem, and here's where I'm sick of this narrative going. And the reason why Monty saying this pisses me off is because he's been the subject. He seems to always come out and comment and say things when these things happen, and people get triggered. And he, you know, plays the victim card. There was one guy. Um, there was a guy who's high up at Twitch. His name's escaping me at this moment, like DJ Weech or somebody like that, who's high up at Twitch. That basically said, "I'm so sick of people excusing this behavior." And then Monty like went into victim mode and was like, "How dare somebody at Twitch call me, accuse me of being racist, and then like not apologize and all?" And you know, oh, it's all about me. Here's the problem I have: the fact we are using this, he's not a racist excuse to sweep bad behavior under the rug. And I think at this stage, it's bullshit. It's not that I think these people dropping the N-bomb are racist in the traditional definition that we've chose to hang on it that we think makes it a black and white issue. What I'm saying is, is that doesn't matter. You are making this community, and you, whether it's your streaming community, whether it's the gaming community, all of these communities, less welcoming and less safe for people that these words and language you choose to use impact. And I don't give a rat's ass whether these people are racist or not because I don't think that's the point. And it's too easy to look at this behavior, quote-unquote condemn it, but say, you know what, I know that guy. He was drunk. You know, it's, He's not racist. That doesn't make it okay. 
we have these communities where these people are allowed to use this language with very little punishment by the platform. And I'll get to you in a second, Twitch. We are allowed to use this platform. You make it unsafe for the community. That should be enough for this to be not okay. And not not okay where we go, oh, you know, he sucks. We'll write some bad articles about him on Reddit and then we'll move on. Like, this needs to start having real consequences because it's not about textbook racism because that is even we're not even to that point this is about making the esports community twitch as a platform these individual streamers communities unwelcoming for these people that that language targets whether you're doing it on purpose or not and that should matter when it comes to twitch i understand the business pressures that twitch is under I understand that retroactively condemning this behavior is not something you can do. I also get that making wide-sweeping proclamations about the legality of this behavior on your platform opens you up to a lot of potential legal problems and business implications. But you were owned by a money-printing machine. And somebody at Twitch needs to have the courage to do something about this in a meaningful way. I don't... You know what? I love Ninja. I think he's got a great personality. The dude drops the N-word on his stream. He's off for 90 days. Like, full stop. This is the type... There needs to start being real consequences for these actions. Not $5,000 to an Overwatch player that makes six-figure salaries. Not, oh, you're banned from Twitch for a little bit. You know, or Logan Paul bullshit on YouTube and let him do some crap. And then you go and give him his own goddamn TV show. Like, these platforms need to start doing something significant about this problem. Or it's going to continue to make this narrative of kids being kids that don't understand the meaning of the words that they're saying be an okay thing. We are reinforcing that narrative, and that is dangerous. And it is blocking a large subset of the potential population that cares about gaming, that cares about esports, from feeling comfortable in this space. And don't tell me that those people don't exist and that doesn't happen because I will point you to the goddamn fighting community, which is one of the most diverse video game communities out there. And when they have that shit happen, they don't tolerate that shit. And it makes a more welcoming community. And it just drives me nuts to see these multi-billion dollar corporations like Twitch and YouTube that have the money and the resources to solve this problem and I'm not talking about fancy fucking AI and all this bullshit that they go, oh, AI's hard, you know. It's not easy for us to moderate all this shit. You know what? Take the archaic television approach. Janet Jackson shows a goddamn nipple on the Super Bowl once. Advertisers <laughs> threaten to flee. And you know what? We figure it out. Now we got tape delay. Is it the most technologically advanced scalable solution on the planet? No, but it doesn't need to be. Put it where it matters. Take your top... 10% of your earners or 5% of your earners on Twitch, the ones that are your money makers, the content mm -hmm. that you were responsible for, and manually moderate that shit. You have no problem hiring people who do fucking revenge sex tapes to moderate the goddamn Overwatch League for free. Find some of those fuckers to go on there and moderate the streams and put a five-second delay on Ninja's stream and capture that shit. You want to give him a more minor warning when it doesn't make it live? That's fine. But start doing something meaningful about it and say there isn't things you can do because television has already proven that out. And one last point. Twitch 
is a television station. If you want analog to you know non-internet scary technology, they're a damn television station. They own this content because they make money from this content. You look at those numbers that fly around like, oh, how much money Ninja makes from Fortnite. Think of how much Twitch makes from that. And then times that by however many, you know, orders of magnitude of ninjas and combinations of streamers to make ninjas there are. And that's the money that they are banking from these people. They own that content. It is a moneymaker. They have a responsibility, just like a television station does, to deal with that crap. Stephen Colbert goes on The Tonight Show and makes an innuendo about President Trump's cock, and the dude gets investigated by the FCC. Somebody on Twitch that is making, and Twitch, is making a hell of a lot more money from than they make from a single episode of The Tonight Show. Somebody drops the end bomb and Monte Cristo tells him not to be drunk and we move on. That is bullshit, and we should hold ourselves to a higher freaking standard. And it's embarrassing for me to be part of this community that continues to allow this shit to happen. I'm done. That's it. I just... <laughs> I, I don't know if I... insane. I don't know if I follow up at all to that <laughs> with some points uh, for fear of retaliation um, or, or fire coming down from the skies, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> first off, when it comes to Twitch, I understand th- th- the irony is that there is some moderation, but it's super, super passive. Uh, some talent, the higher end talent, is kind of given like a point of contact at Twitch, from what I understand. And those points of contact generally tend to like watch those people's streams, check in with them. There's been multiple times where. Uh, we've seen high-end streamers or like the most notoriety, uh, yeah, most notorious notoriety is you know a damn word. Thanks, beer. Um, the most notorious of streamers being out, maybe doing like an IRL stream, doing something they probably shouldn't be doing, and all of a sudden they they get a phone call or they get a, a message from someone at Twitch being like, "Cut it out," and they stop it. Even like Soda Poppin has talked about this before in the past, where people. We'll, we'll ping him and be like, don't do that. <laughs> you, you're, you're pushing it. And, and so they, the difference is, however, when it comes to... Uh, uh, a, getting drunk the, and dropping racist words? Well, getting drunk and dropping racist words. The difference between your t- Tonight Show analogy and someone who is a performer on Twitch is that there is a vast difference in professionalism. And it's not so much on the platform, right? It's, although the punishments of the platform can force professionalism in some ways, which is what I think you're alluding to, with Twitch, it's not at scale in a sense, right? Uh, you can say, yes, there are, uh, in terms of TV, if everything is moderated, but it's like one person watching one channel or whatever it may be for 24 hours, whatever it may be, however. But there are so many different channels and so many different uh, people streaming that it's impossible to do a lot of it. They do retroactively go back and kill uh, certain clips or streams. If they, they do have that kind kind of content in it, it, could they do better? Absolutely. There's also that other piece where, you know, if it's a weird spot that they're in, and I think you might have mentioned this in the discord or uh, it may have been mentioned, but if they, come down so hard on the types of content uh, in which you can or cannot say. So say they say you can't do this type of content, you can't do this, that, or the other. What happens is is something else will spring up 
and allow people to do that, right? When they're like, right. hey, you can't, you can't show boobs on stream. The next thing you know, there's someone, there, there's that streamer just moves off the platform completely and goes up to like Chatterbait or something stupid like that. And, and so it, I, I, I know that, I don't know. It, it, it's it's difficult, right? They're, they're kind of in a weird spot sometimes. And, and a lot of times they're super subjective. Some people you can have Pokemon say, like, jokingly say, oh, if I read, read those people, I would read those emails that were DMs were sent to me like that, I would just kill them. Like, you know what I mean? But it's, again, at the same point in time, Sato says, go hang yourself with a belt. Granted, his was far more malicious than hers, but people were saying, like, well, either way, she told, at, at the bare bones of it, both of these people told someone they would go kill themselves or they threatened to kill someone else like in some way, shape, or form. And so context plays big into it. And when you have context and subjectiveness of either who it is that has to come down with that band hammer, I, it, it gets really muddy really fast. And that's where Twitch has a hard time delineating that because because the community will hold them to something very black or white. And then the minute they go black or white, they people will come in like, well, the context of that isn't the same as what so-and-so else did. So it, you will never appease the Reddit or Twitch community by being too muddy or too rigid on what people say. Because if Pokemon got... got if, if she was uh, Pokemane or whatever it is, she go, goes by, I don't know, watch a stream and just somebody popped it up it popped up as a reference to sado stuff if she'd been banned for that fucking everybody and their mother would have been upset because like oh she didn't mean it she was just it was just a joke blah blah, blah. sado gets banned for it. people are like yeah i get it but now he's the reference to her in terms of why she didn't get banned and so to the people who feel that she should have been and that's just it's a rough spot to be in for them Granted, yeah, I know it's hard to be in a rough spot when you're Let me get out the world's money. tiniest violin for you. I can right, buy a exactly. million of them with all their money. Right, exactly. And also at the same point in time, in all honesty, when some one of these streamers disappears or is banned or goes elsewhere, I, I would love to see the numbers and whether or not the viewers just shift to somebody else. Because I think they do. And I would agree with I that. Really I really think they do. And so I want to make a couple of points. You're not wrong. And I, and I talked a bit about this with like, so Twitch, what you were referencing was there was a situation in the TOS where essentially what Twitch is trying to do is stop. They're trying to do something blatant. And I'm going to say this and be a little inflammatory, but this is ultimately what they're trying to do. Stop using sex to sell your stream. That's what they want to say. That's what they're trying to say in some weird, hard to, you know, monitor way with the whole like, this is the outfits you can wear unless they're contextual and they don't want to say what they really mean, which is like, for some reason, it bothers us at Twitch. And you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's not what this topic's about. But we don't want women to use their boobies to sell streams. That's what they're trying to solve. It doesn't work because they can't just say that and they won't just say that. They try to do something else. Context comes into play. It's a hard thing to monitor. 100% get that. The other point that I made to what you're talking about, which is, yes, there is going to be a time... It's too late. The ship has sailed on every one of these points. Somebody, probably somebody big in the past, has slipped through the cracks because you did not have a rule in place. If you continue to use that sunk cost fallacy as an excuse for why you won't punish future behavior, you will never, ever be able to punish any behavior. 
You will have to be inconsistent to start being consistent at this point of the platform. So I tell that excuse to fuck off because it just has to happen. There is always going to be somebody you can point back to at this point in Twitch's history and say, well, how can you do that when you didn't do this? You know what? You're right. We were wrong then. This is how we operate now. You're just going to have to do that. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. So I do want to add in one more one more point. And you had mentioned before that, you know, the minute that what, something happens uh, in terms of somebody says something derogatory, it's hate speech or racist, whatever, like you're like super harsh, come down on them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I don't think there is, and it's, it's weird. I, th- I think context plays a lot into it, right? Is this someone who constantly says this, constantly pushes this, and this is something that they normally say and or do, right? Or is this someone slipping up? Because there are times when people slip up and say something like that because, uh, of, again, a someone donating something, right? So if somebody donates or basically screws with the streamer, and that's a common thing that happens. People try and slip racist terms into like their donation messages or even their name and because as a streamer sometimes people get in like this kind of robotic row like mode like oh thank you blah 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 for your donation and then sometimes they flat out say something racist because the person made a racist name i don't think things like that are should be punishable again that's one example of something that i think the context of is not necessarily black or white in terms of Oh, sorry. It's not on equal grounds as someone who, like what Sado did, which is clearly something far more different <laughs> and, and, I, and intentional. I get it's a challenge, and there's an exception to every rule. I would like to see a bias to action with correction after the fact instead of using what you just described as an excuse to never do anything. Well, and, and again, and, and I'm not saying that it's not there, but there is there is a thing where if you're in a community that is constantly saying or doing those things, it sometimes not necessarily becomes part of like what you normally would say or do, but becomes part of this rhetoric. And sometimes it it ends up being a slip up. It really ends up doing, it ends up being in that way. Uh, A good way to correct it is to uh, show you that that slip up is not tolerated. Well, no, no, understandable, understandable. But at the same point in time, it can happen. I don't know if you've ever been in another country and, use some of their terminology I've never after been being there a while. I know, right? <laughs> but it happens, right? You you may, like, I remember being in Germany for a while and coming back to the States and I'm looking for Toiletten for the, the sign to the restroom. Like, it just, you, your mind changes spaces. And, and so what, sometimes when you're in these really kind of toxic communities where people are shitty, where they say these constant things, it becomes like weirdly, like, almost muscle memory I'm not defending the people. It's still wrong either way. It shouldn't be there in the first place. But streamers aren't always the... You know, knocking it down on streamers or coming down hard on streamers who slip up, genuinely slip up, isn't a way to fix esports as a whole in terms of... Or even gaming as a whole, toxicity. It, It starts with developers as and the people who make the games as to creating those communities. And if you let that kind of stuff stand in your community and then it leaks over to a stream, like the, the problems that we're seeing with a lot of these 
streamers with Overwatch is because the Overwatch community is super toxic when you play online. And so it just becomes, as XQC had said, like, I, I just do that all the time with the people I'm playing with. I'm like, yeah, you're playing with a bunch of racists. <laughs> but, or you're playing with a bunch of people with, like, really shitty people. And so it happens and becomes an, either either ingrained in them, it accidentally has slipped up, or becomes n- a normality for them. And when it becomes any of those things, I think, yes, corrective action is totally needed, but a 90-day ban is killing someone's career. I and think that's too harsh. And, and, and I, think there, I think there's maybe a level of, like, first defenders are this, and I'm, I, Twitch has something like, it's a 24-hour ban, three-day ban, seven-day ban, one-month ban. They do have those stair steps. It's just I don't think they often jump to them as much as they should. They should right? jump to them. Should, like I said, there should be a bias to action. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not unempathetic to a certain degree of what you're describing. Um, there are plenty of people who are not empathetic to what you're describing, saying, you know what, you picking up well, shitty habits from shitty people does not excuse shitty actions. And I'm not saying that either. Right. I'm just saying sometimes being around shitty people, you pick I mean, up like, shitty like what actions. what it's done to this show. Yeah, right. Like we're awful. We're dumb. But like, so, but the behavior I'm pointing at, and and I want to be clear here because I made this point earlier. I have not got. I haven't come back to this part because I did. I started this out by getting out Monte Cristo. I, I, so let's pretend for a second that I fully agree with with what you said. <laughs> I like that. Sorry, let's just pretend. Sorry. I agree because it, because it's not worth litigating because it's shades of gray and like you and I can. It I, is, I don't yeah. know that either of us are right or wrong, but I do disagree right. with some of it. That being said, what I don't like seeing is people who are powerful in the community. And when I say powerful, I mean like come with a lot of influence. People look up to them. They're core to what esports is. I very much put Monte Cristo into that category. I put Richard Lewis into that category. When that behavior gets dismissed by them, it sends the wrong signal. It sends the signal that what you just described is okay at a at a different level, right? It's not, I slipped up, mm-hmm. I've learned mm-hmm. my lesson, I won't slip up anymore. It is trying to normalize that language. And uh, that's I- what I don't like. I don't, just because that person is not racist, does not take the power out of the words that they use. I, I think they're trying to play the part of like a character witness in some way, shape, or form. But I don't so. care. Like you know, th- and that's fine. Like I don't give a shit if Sato is well, racist or not for the purposes of this conversation. I really well, don't. It's irrelevant it, to me. It, and if Monte Cristo came out and said, "I don't believe Sato is racist. Sato is racist. I know him. Blah blah blah." But what he did was dumb, and he deserves a ban. <laughs> like if he said that, that's different, right? Like what he did was inexcusable. And he should pay the consequences of that. But I don't but think we not. need the character witness part. I, I feel like that's the part that people focus on. People get all, think about all the discussion. We were guilty of this. Think about the discussion that happened around Tryhard. Right? Richard Lewis had that great video that I'm now angry at about making the conversation all about whether those emotes are racist or not. And it doesn't matter, to be honest. Like. And this is going to be one of those. This is going to be an over-the-top example that you're going to dismiss immediately. But I'm going to throw it out there anyway. The <laughs> I'm not a killer, but I shot you. I still shot you. You're still fucking dead. The character witness part does not matter because the consequences are the same. 
And that's the part that I just don't like. It is clear to me in this community that language, whether it be hurtful because of your gender or your race or your sexuality, is tossed around in a matter far beyond flippant that is just, to me, horrendous from a societal standpoint, that that language is just thrown around in the way that it is. And I think we are doing these communities a disservice by making it about the character of the person using it and not spending more time dealing with the fact that as a gaming community, as an esports community, we have normalized this language to the point where we dismiss its use regardless of the character of the person using it. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And that's what I don't yeah. like. And I get that Monte Cristo is trying to say it's bad, but he's not a racist. But that comes with a lot more power. And the only part that I seem to see people focusing on is the character witness part and not about the fact that this is like the 500th time I'm making this number up that we have had to have a discussion about this on the show. And it doesn't <laughs> seem to matter whether or not these people are racist or not. It seems to keep happening. So well, we're I, I think the wrong problem. I, I think attacking streamers is is still, while yes, you are in front of thousands of people if you're a bigger streamer, whatever it may be, you're in front of an audience, you should be held to a different set of rules in terms of what you're allowed to say and not say on, on streams. But however, this goes far back before Twitch in terms of toxicity in gaming and what's become acceptable and what's not, because as publishers of games or developers of games, it's been let go for like the longest amount of time. Like it's just, you can't log into even, you know, call of duty on the Xbox and expect to have a normal conversation with anybody and anything. Right. Um, even, even let's look at a, a, I don't want to go too far down there, but you can see how evident it, it, it is. When you watch a tournament, right, a Call of Duty tournament, watch one of those versus a fighting game community tournament. It's it's literally like egging people on. Like it's almost like this bro fight <laughs> that's ha- playing out on stage. This like with, with mimes who are tethered to screens. <laughs> um, it's really awkward looking, but there's 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 a lot of hate and animosity in that group versus FGC, which is respect for what the game and, and that, you know, you made it to this point because you're a good player. I'm a good player, whatever. Like it's just a different community. But the thing is, is because that community has held it to a different standard. Also, if you look at it, there's not a lot in, in fighting games wise, there's not a lot of, online voice chat stuff so therefore does it become normalized and toxic right i mean versus when you go to something like overwatch call of duty any of those games legal legend legal legends just mostly typing but yeah you like all of those you you look at those those communities and it's been ingrained before twitch or it's been ingrained before it became popular or some bigger name streamers picked on like it's just it's just there it's ingrained in those communities because they have voice comms <laughs> so yeah and i don't I, doubt any of that i just want us to stop leading with that recognition you just made as the kind of dismissive excuse for why it's okay because it's just no, gonna I, get worse 
I, I don't think it's okay. And I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not saying that you are. I'm just excuse. saying that's what I'm seeing from what I want to stop seeing happen or what I want to start seeing happen. So let's talk about solutions. What I want to start seeing happen is I want to see these people that I, that are up on pedestals and rightfully so in the esports community start making start being part of the solution, right? I don't... Even them publicly condemning folks is not what I'm looking for. I don't want Monte Cristo to go out there and punch Sato in the face. That's not what I want. What I want them is to start making some meaningful... Be part of meaningful change. Stop dismissing it as like, they're not racist. It's just what comes with being a gamer. That's what I hear. That's the summary of what gets tossed around. And that those words that's, have weight. so dumb. It's so dumb. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I hear, right? Like, that's exactly what we throw around. And that's what makes me sad. And what I want to see there be actual action from these folks and other folks about it as well. Like, and Twitch is doing the same thing. Like, I get the context stuff. I totally do. I like, you know, Ninja dropping the N bomb while rapping in a song that didn't have the N bomb. Like, we, we debate who are blue in the face whether that's okay or not okay. The reality is, is, for every one of those, there's these black and white ones that tend to get swept up in the same ball of context that we sweep up those in, and it makes me sad to see it continue to happen. I want to see Twitch be a bigger solution to the problem. I want to see people who have the power to do so be a bigger solution to the problem. And I don't think, and one thing I want to say, because this is a point that I, I made in Discord that I think is important to understand, is I actually don't hold streamers to a different set of rules than I hold anybody else to. The differences are, is the bigger you are, the bigger the consequences are when you break those rules. The rule set is the same. Get that shit out of your vocabulary. Yes, there is a bigger punishment if Ninja drops the N-bomb than if some random dude in Call of Duty does. That is unfortunate, but that means those people also have the power to potentially be part of that solution. So I don't hold them to a different standard. I hold them to the same standard. Their success means there's a bigger punishment for that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If you want to pay me half a million dollars a month to play goddamn video games on Twitch, I will gladly remove those words from my vocabulary. <laughs> Life is not someone. that hard. I'll pay someone to moderate me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I sorry. Sorry if I don't buy the sob story. Streamers' life is hard. Um, but I, I do think there's an element of that. Like with great power comes great responsibility. It is not a different set of rules. It's the same rules we should hold every damn person to. If there's somebody in your Discord dropping that, there's somebody in the game that you're in dropping that. Report their asses. Be part of the solution and stop letting the fact that this is part of gaming be the excuse. Because you'll wake up one day and that'll be all there is. And it'll be a sad, sad state that we're in. And don't tell me it can't work. I've seen it work. The fighting game community, and it has its problems, and we're not great to every class of person, but we're a hell of a lot further down that road than other parts of esports. And I would just like to see some of the more prominent community members that have a hell of a lot bigger platform than I have currently to yell and scream about this shit to help do something meaningful about it. Condemning somebody while then making a joke about them being drunk is not a responsible way to do it. Right. And to be clear, I still think it was wrong. <laughs> not, not defending anybody, defending any actions. What's wrong is wrong. I was just adding some context of where I think some of it's stemmed from. Damn you and your we'll devil's advocate. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying, I don't want people to be like, I, I'll get the, I've already been in enough internet fights this past year. <laughs> uh, I don't need anybody to be like, oh, seventh racist. He's defending so-and-so because he just... Uh, you're not, you're not racist. 
You have just no. uh, you are just a product of your surroundings. <laughs> Jesus, stop drinking on so stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at the end of that, if we still have a show, you will be able to check us out on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, and tune in every Tuesday. You can, of course, get our RSS feed or stream the episodes directly on NerfThis.gg. We're also available in the Bleacher Report app under the eSports stream or any of the other games we happen to talk about. Unfortunately, there is not a blatant racism stream in the Bleacher Report app, so you will not find us there. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk about anything that we had to say on this show, you can do so in that said Discord, where you can see my wonderful rants and text-based form at NerfThis.gg gg slash discord um and we like itunes reviews we've been getting some good ones uh keep giving us those five star ratings or those one star ratings because you like to drop the end bomb and that's okay i'll take your one star you racist bastard you can send those over of course on itunes they do help people discover the show in all seriousness and uh we always appreciate those and of course you can find us on social media we are at nerf this gg on facebook and instagram and over at nerf this crew on twitter and if you know email is the way you prefer to troll us, you can do that as well at show at nerfthis.gg. I think that's going to do it. Have I caused enough trouble this week? I think you, you had a good start. Okay, okay, good. I have met my quota for myself for seven. That is going to do it. We will see everybody next Tuesday for another episode of Nerf. Yes. <laughs>